Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. I'm going to continue on this morning in our Resilient Faith series. We've been talking all summer about Resilient Faith. Anyone been enjoying the sermon series? We've been able to hear from some incredible speakers all summer. Um, how many of you guys enjoyed last week with, with, uh, with Mr. Billy and Ms. Donna got up here and shared their hearts? Come on. I am so thankful for them and their impact on our life. I love you guys so much. I was watching online um, from Nebraska, and it's incredible um, that God is building kingdom family, and it's not surrounded, it's not, it's not gathering around one person, but that there, there's actually family happening, and uh, there's a lot of speakers and communicators in this house that are all gifted, and uh, it's just a blessing um, to see what God is doing here. And so we're going to talk about resilient faith this morning, and I have a really cute uh, sermon title for you. I thought about giving us a sermon illustration about the lights going out in the room, but I'm not clever enough for that, so I'm going to just stick to what God gave me. Um, But the title of my sermon this morning is Resilient Faith. Resilient faith, okay? Um, And so we're going to talk about resiliency and what does it mean to be a people who are marked by resiliency. I want to give you Webster's definition of resiliency. Listen to this. It says, to be able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. Resiliency is the ability to recover quickly or withstand difficult conditions, You know, one of the things I've enjoyed my entire life, and here lately I've been keeping up with a little bit more, is watching uh, boxing. Any boxing fans out there? No? Okay, cool. Me and Kenny. Uh, It's probably because of our our past. Um, But in boxing, they would say it like this, man, that guy's got a chin. You guys ever heard that? You know, the ability, this is my definition of resiliency, the ability to take a blow and not let it cost you your joy. The ability to take it on the chin and say, even though that was difficult, I'm not going to let it rob me of my joy. Is anyone up for that kind of faith this morning? So we're going to talk about resiliency. I have a lot of scripture for us this morning. So if you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to jump right in this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 33. It should be on the screen behind me. Hebrews chapter 11 In verse 33, it says, talking about this hall of faith, it says, these people who through faith conquered kingdoms, they administered justice, they gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, they quenched the fury of the flames, and they escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. And catch this part in verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Verse 40, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, say us, 
would they be made perfect? Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And this morning, God, we thank you that you're stirring fresh faith in our hearts. And I pray today, God, that you would cause us to be resilient people, a people who are able to stand in the midst of trial, who are able to stand in the midst of tough situations and say, this will not cost me my joy. And God, I ask that you would stir that faith in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at verse 39 and verse 40, so we, we talk about all these people and people who were who were persecuted, who were abandoned, people who the world was not worthy of. And then it gets to the end and it says that all of these people had received a promise from God, but they never got to experience the promise that God gave them. And it said, because God had something better planned for us, that only together with us would the promise be fulfilled. You see, as I, as I read this, I think um, that God is trying to communicate that this faith that we've inherited is not simply something that was originated with us, but we actually have a legacy of faith, amen? That where we enter in is not the beginning of the story, but we're entering into a narrative with rich history. And I think one of the things that God is doing in the church today is he is restoring to the church a transgenerational consciousness. The ability to recognize that this thing is not just about me, but I'm actually inheriting the fulfillment of promises that were given thousands of years ago. And when we gain this transgenerational consciousness, what it does is it gives us the ability to say, even if I don't see the fulfillment of the promise in my life, I will be just, if not more, satisfied to see it manifest in my grandchildren. You see, God is building a family. God is building a family, and we are entering into this rich legacy of faith. And so I want to look this morning at the life of two people that I believe are incredible examples of resilient faith. Before we do that, I want us to just think for one second. If you look at Hebrews 11, I didn't read it um, all, but, but it talks about people that we would consider the hall of faith or the heroes of our faith. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, women who received their dead children back to life. And as I look at these people who were crucified, who were sawed in two, the scripture says, what I see in them is that their faith was not fragile. That the faith that they inherited from God was not fragile, but they had an ability to stand strong. And it was based on one thing, that they had a revelation of who God was. And they were willing to stand on their revelation of who God was, even if it meant they lost their lives. And I think God's restoring that kind of faith to the church again that we would not complain about what we would classify as persecution, but we would see persecution as an opportunity to demonstrate the faithfulness of God in a world that seems shaken. And so as we look at our world today, there's a few different things that we see. We see that the current culture we live in is very fragile. There's this rapid grain of truth. Everything's up for grabs. The world is easily offended. It's easily shaken. But like I said, I believe God's giving the church today, like never before, an opportunity to demonstrate his faithfulness through our resilient faith. That we would say, if the world wants to know what consistency looks like, look at the church. If the world wants to know what faithfulness looks like, you can look at my life. I like what Paul tells Timothy. He says this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
And I've always wrestled with that statement because what Paul is saying is, is he has enough confidence in what God has done in him that says, if you look at my life, what you're gonna see is a life that's worthy of replication. And I believe God's doing that in the church today. He's instilling in us a resiliency that could stand strong even in the midst of fragility. And so we're gonna look at the life of Joshua and Caleb and to spare you a little bit of reading, um, I'm just gonna recap some of the story and then we'll dive into scripture. Joshua and Caleb, um, I actually saw, um, I can't remember if it was Joshua or Caleb, but Steve and Lisa named their sons Joshua and Caleb, which I think is incredible. I saw one of them at the Kalachi store and I'm gonna be really honest, I cannot tell them apart, so I don't know who it was. But <laughs> when I, well, these guys are identical twins, like identical twins, and so, uh, which was cool. I was like, okay, Lord, maybe this is confirmation I'm speaking on what I'm supposed to. Um, but Joshua and Caleb, so the story goes that God spoke to the Israelites and he um, had given them a promise that they were going to inherit the promised land dating back to Abraham. So in the story, what happens is, is Moses, who is leading the children of Israel, he sends 12 spies to check out the land. And when the 12 spies get to the promised land, they admit that what God had promised is very true. This is a promised land. There is milk and honey flowing in the land. There are clusters of, imagine this with me. There's clusters of grapes in the promised land that are so big that they have to be carried by two men on a pole. Like that's, that's some good stuff right there. So they see the promise, the milk and honey, the grapes, but then they see the giants. And immediately they go from talking about what they see that God has promised to speaking about the giants. Caleb stands up and he says, I think we can take the giants. And the people start crying out and they say, there's no way we could take the giants. There's giants there. Their cities were fortified. And this is interesting to me. They say this, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. Have you ever thought about that? The people say, we've seen the giants and in our own eyes, we seemed like grasshoppers which is so powerful because how you see yourself up against what God has put in front of you really does matter. And so they said, we seem like grasshoppers. There's no way we could take it. And they immediately started saying things like this. We should have just died in Egypt. Why did you even take us from Egypt? There was plenty of food there. We should have just died in Egypt. And then they said, we might as well die here in the wilderness. And so their eyes moved quickly from the promise to the problem. I wanna point out three things that I believe that God shows us in the story of Joshua and Caleb that demonstrate to us what resilient faith looks like. And the first one is a quote that I learned from my wife, Caitlin here, um, 28 weeks pregnant. We're about to be parents, this is crazy. She doesn't look 28 weeks pregnant, she's tiny up here. Um, but Caitlin taught me this, um, and Caitlin picked up this language from a dear friend of hers, um, who at a young age, how old would she have been? Yeah, 31, 32, uh, was diagnosed with, with brain cancer. And, um, but one of the things that Caitlin learned from her life is, is that she had an unwavering belief in the goodness of God. And even as she was dying, standing firm for her healing, she said, I will not doubt the goodness of God. And she ended up passing away, and she's left a legacy of faith of people who say, I will not question the goodness of God. And so point number one is a quote that Caitlin gives me all the time, and it says that we have to refuse to put the goodness of God on trial. In order to have resilient faith, we have to choose to refuse to put the goodness of God 
on trial. You see, I believe as the church, we have to refuse to create doctrine around our experience or our lack thereof. For far too long, the church has, has created doctrine around what they haven't seen God do rather than what God has said he is going to do. And, and, and listen, I, I, I feel that. I, I know how hard that is when the cancer comes. I know how hard that is when opposition comes and, and everything in you says, it has to be true that God doesn't heal anymore. Or when you feel like God is distant from you and you say, it has to be true that God is distant from me. But I believe God wants to put a faith in us that says, I will not doubt who he says he is. If he says he's close, then he's close. If he says he's healer, then he's healer. And even if I don't see it, I'm going to believe that he is who he says he is. And so we have to refuse to put the goodness of God on trial. Numbers chapter 14, we're going to dive into this. The Lord said to Moses in verse 26, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites, so tell them. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. This is fascinating to me. I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore to make your home except for Joshua, the son of Jephunneh, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of of none. So out of all of the Israelites, the only two people that were permitted to enter into the promised land from that generation was Joshua and Caleb. Why? Because they refused to put the goodness of God on trial. They said, we will take God at his word and we will not become distracted by the opposition. And so these two get to enter into the promised land. I want to, I want to talk for a second about Jesus. Anybody love Jesus? Yeah. Jesus came and, and Jesus's message, I think, really applies uh, to the situation we have with Joshua and Caleb. How many know Jesus only had one message? It was the message of the kingdom of God. The first words that come out of the mouth of Jesus were preaching the kingdom of God. It says after his resurrection, he was a glorified man for 40 days on the earth, and he taught one thing, the kingdom of God. And so in the early days of Jesus, his first message, he, he tells the people, he says, the time is now, the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe the gospel. The time is now, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. You see, I believe for Joshua and Caleb to enter into the promised land, they had to choose to repent and believe. The way that we enter into the kingdom of God today is by repenting and believing. Now, I love that we as a church have done a really good job of communicating what repentance actually means. Aren't you guys thankful for that? Because like we say all the time, for many of us growing up, we were taught that repentance is a dirty word. Um, it's not something you like to hear. It usually comes with a finger in your face, someone yelling, um, saying dirty things about you and why you have to repent. Because we were taught that repent means to, to change your direction, right? How many of you guys were taught that growing up in church? To repent means to turn and go in the other way. But what I've learned about repentance is, is that it's impossible to turn and go the other way if we don't first change the way we think. And so repentance is not a turning and going in the other way. The Greek word metanoia literally means a fundamental change in the way that you think. A fundamental change in the way that you think. And so for, for Joshua and Caleb to enter into the promised land, they had to change the way they thought. 
They couldn't think like everyone else. And so to, to change the way you think, metanoia, it doesn't simply mean to just exchange one thought for another random thought, but my definition of repentance is this, it's to think how God thinks. Yeah. It's to say, if God has a thought, I wanna change my thoughts for his thoughts. So it's to think what God thinks. It's to see what God sees. And ultimately, it's to say what God says. And what did God say? The promised land is yours. I am giving you the land. It's already yours. I'm giving you the land. And so the giants go in and they begin to think that maybe God actually isn't giving us the land. One of the things that I love about this story is, is that in God's promise to them, he never said anything about giants. He didn't mention the giants. He said, I'm giving you the land. And what we do is that when we begin to come up into what God has promised us and we see giants, we're like, oh, you never mentioned this. Maybe I heard God wrong, right? We think that because it's hard that maybe I'm not hearing God correctly. But let me encourage you with this. Never think that just because there's giants in the land that God isn't giving you what he promised. Oftentimes, giants in the land are confirmation, that opposition that comes against you is confirmation that you're moving in the right direction. Now, I don't want to obsess over giants. I don't want to obsess over opposition. I think the church does a, a really poor job of this at times, that we get obsessed with persecution. We're like, oh, brother, I'm just tired. I'm just beat down. I'm just, the, the devil is out to get me. Like, you ever talk to those people, and they're just like, man, I'm just persecuted. You know, the devil's out to get me. He's just trying to rob my joy. And we magnify the giants, and when we magnify the opposition, what we do is we diminish our ability to have faith in what God has promised. And so when we see opposition, it's not about a pity party. It's saying this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to demonstrate the faithfulness of God and to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. So never think that because there's opposition that God's not actually giving you what he promised. And so we have the 12, they go, 10 were saying the wrong thing, two were saying the right thing, two were saying God promised us the land, I don't care if there's giants, and 10 were actually saying there's giants, it's impossible. And I, I love this part, I think it's fascinating to me. If you look at verse 28, God says this. He says, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing that I heard you say. What did God hear them say? We might as well just die in the wilderness. And God literally says to them, if you want to die in the wilderness, you can die in the wilderness. I'm not going to take you somewhere you don't want to go. If you want to die here, then you can die here. But if you choose to believe what I said, then you can have the promise. And so this shows us that what we say actually matters. And, and, and what I'm not talking about is a is a version of, of name it and claim it where if you just say that you have a Ferrari in your driveway 40 times and it's gonna show up. Um, if you are praying like that, please pray for me. That would be incredible. <laughs> but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about saying it enough until you believe it, but what I am talking about is what Jesus says. He says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yes. And so oftentimes our speech actually reveals our heart. And if all we could focus on is the negative, then it's showing us that we don't have a revelation of his goodness. And what I think God wants to do is he wants to pierce our hearts with the revelation of his goodness to where the only thing that comes out of our mouth is say, I really don't care what's happening. I've seen him. I know him. He's good. And he's faithful 
to his word. So we have to refuse to put the goodness of God on trial. You guys with me this morning? The second thing I see in the life of Joshua and Caleb, you guys need to listen faster, as Steve Smother says, because I'm running out of time, <laughs> is that we have to remember his goodness. We have to remember his goodness. Look with me at Joshua chapter 4. In Joshua 4, now when they're moving in, the next generation, Caleb and Joshua, are moving them into the promise. It says that they sent the ark before them, and as soon as the priests stepped into the Jordan River, the river dried up so that they all could cross on dry ground. And as soon as they crossed, the Lord commanded them to set up a memorial. And if you look here, starting in verse 6, it says, When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. If you go down to verse 20, it said, Joshua set up at Gilgal 12 stones they had taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan the Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea, and he did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. You see, the Israelites had this problem. God delivered them from Egypt with plagues and bondages, but they forgot. God literally rolled back the Red Sea like a scroll, and then he destroyed the enemy with the same sea he delivered them from, but they, they forgot. He fed them manna. He gave them water from a rock. He caused their shoes to grow on their feet and their clothes to never wear out, but they forgot. An entire generation died in the wilderness because they forgot. An entire generation died in the wilderness because their forgetfulness led them to unbelief. You see, I had a man of God once tell me this. He said, one of the, 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 the things we have to protect ourselves from most is spiritual amnesia. It's to grow numb to or to grow cold to the things that God has done in our life. And when we forget who he is, when we forget what he's done, it blinds us and it gives us short vision and we're not able to see, I almost took that fall right there, we're not able to see the thing that he promised us. I don't know how Joel does it. This guy is like, he, 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 he's like a tightrope walker. I've got a few more pounds than he does, so. So we have to protect ourselves from spiritual amnesia. And this is what I really believe, that thanksgiving for what God has done in a former season actually becomes the fuel that we need to propel us into the seasons ahead. It's remembering what he's done that gives us perspective for what's to come. And if we're short-sighted, it, man, I, I think COVID really did, it did a work on us over the past two years. And one of the things that I think COVID did is that it caused us to become short-sighted. And, and, and for many of us, all we can remember are the past two years of our lives. Any of you guys with me? You're just like, dude, COVID feels like it started 20 years ago. And it's discipled people to believe that God's distant. It's discipled us into this place of isolation. And so we have to be a people who are intentional to remember what God has said to us. And there may be seasons 
where you feel like God has promised you something. And let me say this. I'm going to stop here for a second. When I talk about the promised land, what I'm not talking about is an afterlife. How many of you guys, like, you sing songs about when you cross over that Jordan, and we're just singing songs about dying. Like, we're just like, yeah, when I die, God will be good to me. But the promised land is not when we die. Eternal life doesn't begin when you die. John 17 tells us eternal life is to know God. It's the prayer of Jesus that you would be one with me as I and the Father are one and you are one together. This is eternal life. And so the promised land, my definition for the promised land, I think Paul describes it perfectly in Romans when he says that by the grace of God, we are actually called to reign in this life. That's the promised land, is reigning in this life. It's believing the promises of God for you, not when you die, but here in this life. So that's the promised land. And so as we believe God's promises, we have to have this position that says, even if I don't know where I'm going, I know one thing. I'm not going back to slavery. I'm not going back to where I was. And remembering what God has done will give you heaven's perspective for whatever you're facing. Remembering where you came from and, and the victories that have been won throughout your life will actually become fuel to take you into where God is going. The third point I have for you this morning is that Joshua and Caleb had a supernatural confidence. They had a supernatural confidence. And what I'm not talking about is ignoring problems or, or blissful ignorance but what I am talking about is the ability to stand in circumstances because you know who you are. We're scared to talk about this sometimes because we think it's selfish. But God's actually pleased when we know who we are. You see, it dishonors God when we act like something that we're not. We're like, you know, I'm just a nobody. If God's going to do anything, it's just going to be all him and none of me. And, and I love when people say it's like, you know, you give someone a compliment and you're like, that was amazing. Oh, it was the Lord. It's like, well, it wasn't that good, okay? So God loves to partner with us. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. God loves to partner with us. He is pleased when his children live like his children. And they say, I'm royalty. And it doesn't make us prideful. It actually makes us grateful. It gives us humility when we say, I know where I came from, and he calls me a son. Thank you, Jesus. He could have made me a slave, and that would have been really cool, or just a servant in the house, but he calls me friend, and that's powerful. And so a supernatural confidence in who God says you are. Listen to this in Joshua 14. I promise we're almost done reading scripture. I've given you a lot today. Starting in verse six, it says, now the people of Judah approached Joshua and Caleb, and he said, you know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh Barnea about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my conviction. So think about this. This is 40 years later, and he's recalling what happened. I brought him back a report according to my convictions. I love that. He says, I'm not, I don't care what everyone else saw. I brought back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he's kept me alive for 45 years since that time. 
while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So I, here I am today, listen, 85 years old. Where are my silver saints at this morning? Come on. Can anyone relate to that though? Like, man, I, I've been hanging on for a long time, but I'm not giving up today. He says, here I am today, 85 years old, and I'm as still strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me my mountain as the Lord promised. You heard, you yourself heard when the Anakites were there and the cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. And Joshua blessed Caleb and he gave him Hebron as his inheritance. You see, to a religious mind, it sounds prideful. Like, Caleb, chill out, bro. Like, you're old. You got to chill out, Caleb. To the religious mind, it sounds prideful. No, Caleb understood inheritance. He said, God promised it to me. The mountain is mine, and I'm not going to give up just because I'm old. I'm as, still as, as strong today as I was in my youth. Give me my mountain. You see, God loves confidence. God is actually pleased with our confidence. As we look in Hebrews chapter four and verse 16, what we see is, is the writer of Hebrews, when we approach the throne of God, it says, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. God doesn't want us to approach him with our head hanging low. He wants us to approach him as a son or a daughter. God is not glorified in our begging. And God is not glorified in our saying, you know what, God, it's okay, like, this is hard. Never mind, I'm just gonna give up. God is glorified when we come before him and we say, God, you said it, I believe it. And I know who you say I am, and I'm gonna approach you not as a slave, but as a son. I'm gonna approach you not as a servant, but as a, as a daughter. And so Caleb had this supernatural confidence about him. And he was 85 years old when he got his inheritance. Can you imagine how many funerals that Caleb went to? Think about that. Can you imagine how many times Caleb is throwing dirt on another body saying, I, I really thought they were gonna make it, but just because they didn't make it doesn't mean that I'm gonna give up now? It's the ability to take a punch. It's the ability to say, God, I will not waver on what you said. I'm going to trust you. I have a supernatural confidence, not in my ability, but the spoken word of God. And I'm going to take you at your word. And I love Caleb when he gets ready to move into his inheritance. He, he asked for the mountain. You see, in the promised land, if you just think geographically, the milk and honey wouldn't have been flowing on a mountain. The milk and honey would have been in the valleys, in the vineyards, the grapes would have been in the valleys, and he wasn't interested in the milk and the honey. He wasn't interested in the grapes. He was interested in the mountain. Why? Because that's what he saw when he first laid his eyes on the promised land. He said, God, send me back to the very place of the giants. Come on, at 85 years old, he's saying, I know there's a curse. Send me into the teeth of the curse because I believe that what you've put on the inside of me can actually reverse the curse. And so God spoke to him about the mountain, and at 85 years old, he's saying, give me my mountain. So the question I have for us this morning is, is what are we fascinated by? 
Are we fascinated by the giants? Are we fascinated by the promise? Where, where does our attention begin to wander to? Is it, oh my goodness, I cannot believe this is happening? Or, God, what you said is so good and I can't wait to taste it. I believe that God this morning wants to put a tenacity in our hearts that says, I'm not settling for anything less than what God promised. Anybody in the room want that this morning? I don't want to settle for less than what God has promised to me. I want to close by reading Hebrews chapter 12. And then I want to pray for you this morning because I really do believe that God wants to release something to us. Hebrews chapter 12 the continuation of what we read at the beginning in Hebrews 11 that says together with us is their promise fulfilled. Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse one, it says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter, the author and the finisher of our faith. For the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How many know that you were the joy that was set before Jesus? It says, for for the joy that was set before him, he looked at the cross and he saw everything that was about to happen. And it says, for the joy of knowing you, he endured. He scorned at shame, and then he sat down at the right hand of God, and it says, consider him, Jesus, who endured such opposition so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I believe this, that the birthplace of resilience is when we take our eyes off of what's happening around us, and we set them on the author and the finisher of our faith. I wasn't gonna go here, but I really do believe that God has been speaking to me about this for, honestly, for about two years. He started speaking to, this, to me about this um, right when COVID hit, and I think it's a word for my generation, and I think it's a word um, for all of us together, um, but one of the things that I've learned is, is that what, what God is doing in the midst of a self-absorbed culture, how many of you guys know, like, our culture is really obsessed with ourselves, <laughs> self-help self-care, self-awareness, self-love, all of these things, none of which are bad, but there's a really fine line between self-awareness and self-indulgence. And resilient faith isn't just so that you can get stuff from God. Resilient faith is so that you can be released into your role as an ambassador, so that you can demonstrate to the world around you how good God is. And I believe that God wants to remove the lie from us that the world revolves around us. And he wants to teach us that the reason you're here on this earth is not just for you, but it's so that you can demonstrate the goodness of God to the world around you. The scripture says this, that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. St. Irenaeus says this. He says that the glory of God is man fully alive. We have it on a t-shirt. Lauren made these t-shirts and I love them because that is such a powerful declaration that the glory of God is man fully alive. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And then God wants to take that, men and women, full 
of glory. Men and women demonstrated in the goodness of God, and he wants to disperse them all over the world so that the glory of God can cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It's not just for us. God wants to put resiliency in our hearts so that when people see your life, they say, that's a good God. That God's not schizophrenic like the God I met when I was a kid. That God's not good some days and bad other days. It's a people who would say, I've seen God and I've seen every side of him and there is no bad side. And I'm here to tell the world that he's better than we thought he was. And you could come at me and the world can throw whatever it wants. Pandemic can come, financial stuff can come, broken relationships can come. And I'm going to position myself in the goodness of God and demonstrate his faithfulness to a world in question. So resilient faith. The band wants to come up. That would be awesome. Here's here's something else really quick before we close. I think is really important. I was just praying yesterday morning. I feel like God spoke to me about this. That faith is initiated and sustained by God. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith which means that real faith isn't striving faith. Real faith is not working out a muscle. Real faith looks like stewarding a gift. We have to recognize that faith itself is a gift from God. And we're not trying to to make something happen that we haven't already been given. What we're doing is we're stewarding a gift that was given to us by choosing to believe what he says about himself. Does that make sense? And so it's easy for us to be like, oh, I'm just going to pretend like everything's okay. And I don't want you to to feel like you have to pretend. It's not about pretending. I I get really frustrated when people say things like, just fake it till you make it, brother. I don't want to fake it. I want to believe it. (laughs) I don't want to just say things that I don't believe until I believe it. I want to be pierced at the level of my heart that the only thing that can come out of my mouth is who he is. And so it's not about trying harder. It's about God saying, God, I will choose to believe that you are who you say you are. And it's from that place of intimate connection with him that faith is birthed. It's from that place of knowing him and seeing him and experiencing him and, it, and, and encountering his goodness that resilient faith is birthed. You don't have to keep up with it in your own works. You just have to steward it by setting your eyes on Jesus. So I wanna pray for us this morning. I'm gonna be really honest for a second. And just let you know that like many of you, these last two years have been some of the hardest years of my life. I've, I've questioned more than I've ever questioned. I've processed things that I never felt like I had to process before. It's been challenging. And there's been moments where the lie has came in and said, what if this whole thing's just a wash? <laughs> like, what if this trajectory is just like, what are you doing with your life? And I've had to choose to take my eyes off of what's happening here and say, God, I know that I've seen you. (laughs) And what I've seen of you has become a foundation that I know cannot be easily shaken. But I wanna be real this morning. I feel like the, the church, the enemy has been trying to rob the church of her revelation of God's goodness over the past two years. And I wanna pray for a few people in the room and one is, is I just want to pray for you this morning. If you feel like over the last two years that there's just been these seeds of doubt that have been planted in your heart. you just like questioning even reality. Like if we can just get real. It's like, what is really happening? 
just these seeds of doubt, and you feel it. You feel it even, if I'm, even as I'm talking this morning. You're like, man, I, I feel that doubt. Or two, maybe you're here and you're just like, man, I feel like I once had that resilient faith like Caleb, and, and now I'm just, I'm just struggling to believe if God's promises of my life are still intact. If you're in one or two of those camps, I just want you to stand really quick where you're at. I just want you to stand. If you feel like, man, I feel like I once had the ability to believe God and take him at his word, and I'm just... Just not there right now. I just want you to stand. No shame. I want to pray for you. I just feel like the Lord wants to infuse in us a resiliency this morning. I saw as I was driving here almost as if we were, our our bodies were being filled with lead. (laughs) Like the ability to be planted in what God has said. It's like you can come at me. I'm not moving. get your name, but I feel like the Lord, Elena, so sorry. You guys are amazing. I've been just watching you all morning, and I just feel like the Lord says the, 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 the end will be better than the beginning. And I just feel like there's even these things where you've had these encounters with God in your earlier days, and he's saying that is nothing compared to where I'm taking you. And I just see you almost even in a hallway, and it's just like this hallway, and it's just like, what's next, what's next? And you're passing by doors, and they're closed. They're not opening up for you. And he's just saying there's light at the end of the tunnel. It's not a bad place you're in. He has you where he has you, and it's good. But just trust that he's opening doors for you. And don't be discouraged by the closed doors. Where God is taking you, I just feel like it's going to blow your mind. You're going to be able to say, I've seen the goodness of God. I've seen the goodness of God. I've tasted it. And there's a solidity that's just coming in your heart that you're not easily shaken. And so, God, I just bless Lana right now in Jesus' name for the ability to keep her eyes on you in this season. I thank you for opening doors for her, and I thank you for what you've done in her in this season. She will not know the fullness of what you've done in this season until she transitions into the next season, but she'll be able to look back and say, oh, my goodness, I'm so convinced of his goodness. I've seen him, and he's good. So Jesus, this morning, I just, I thank you for resiliency in our hearts, for those standing in the room. And I I thank you, Lord, that you are convincing us of your goodness, that you're causing us to be a heart-stricken people, that our hearts are so full of the goodness of God that we're not pretending, but we're actually resilient because of what you've done in us. Do you, sir, in the, in the red hat in the back, I just feel like there's, there's provision financially just coming to you. I see financial provision coming to you. I don't know if it's in the form of a promotion or a new job, but I feel like there's even been some questionings in this season, and God is he's blessing you, and he's blessing your family, and he's saying, I am going to reveal myself as Jehovah Jireh, the God who always provides. You will not have to experience lack. I just declare that over you this morning. You will not have to experience lack, but God is blessing you and your family. In Jesus' name. And so, Father, this morning, just say yes. Can we all stand together? Thank you, Jesus. Let's just say this together this morning. Say, Jesus, I trust you. I know that you're good. Let that revelation consume my life. God, give me resilient faith so that I will not be shaken 
God, partner with me to demonstrate your goodness to the world around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Sozo Church, you are a resilient people. I believe that. It's an honor to be a part of this family, and I call you that, and I just believe that what God is doing in this family is impacting the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you.